When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, welcome to Luke Lore, a quick deep dive into a folklore topic where I share some of the stories from around the world that have piqued my interest. Today is a very special show, as I am very happy to introduce Mariam Drager, a mover and shaker in the horror film and festival worlds who I've roped in to back me up today, as she's also one of the hosts of the Grim Exchange show on the Grimfest TV YouTube channel. Hello Mariam, how are you today? I'm good, Luke, good to be here, nice to, to see slash hear you. Today's Luke Law topic is one that definitely benefits bringing in some backup, as today we're talking about witches. It can be a tough topic to be sensitive about. Absolutely. Yeah, witches are something that you see uh, a lot in pop culture. It's a very present topic, but um, as much fun as it is, there's a lot of serious history, so definitely a lot of potential to be debated and discussed. Yeah, it's very easy to be insensitive, because you've got to remember that when it comes to witches, that's also a religion. That's something that people take seriously, and they are. So you can have all the fun and games in the world dressing up as witches and throwing effigies on bonfires. There is someone out there that that actually matters to as well. Well, actually, on the Grim Exchange, we had in our second episode, like a mini documentary on witches and film over the last five years. And I used the opportunity to really dive into the culture, you know, just beyond the fiction and, and kind of see what, what a, a witch lifestyle is really like. And I have to admit, I learned a lot about it by speaking to people who are practicing witches, by listening to podcasts for witches. I, for example, quite naively didn't know that the term witch uh, is actually not gender specific. There are a lot of people, female, male, um, or, you know, another definition of gender who are still self-proclaimed witches. And I also realized that a lot of what we tend to know is Wicca, but really every culture has its own version, its own form of witchcraft. And I don't think you can find the same culture of witch in any two regions, to be honest with you. It it very much varies, very much is different from region to region. Yeah, um, I found that as in general research that like you can trip up a bit because when you're talking about European witches, there's a whole lot of history. There is Wiccan, there is pre-Christian pagans who got rolled into the witchcraft um, debate, and then you go and look at something like Native American folklore. Oh, when they say something is an evil witch, they're not messing around. That is an evil witch in their legends and folklore, and it's not something that's arguable. It's like, but what, was it a misunderstood woman? No, <laughs> that is an evil witch. And like, um, so like, people in pop culture can mess it up by trying to apply different standards to different regions. You do need to look at what each individual region is doing. I think the biggest mistake as well is paying too much attention to how media, mass media portrays 
witchcraft and, and witch culture, because in a lot of, and this is what I learned throughout our research, in a lot of series and movies, at least in the past, we've seen a Christian depiction of witches, which is fine. And there are there are both Christian witches and then there are evil witches from the Christian perspective. So those are also two completely different things. And Usually what you're looking is is at the at the Satan worshiping witch, uh, especially in television over the last few years. Uh, you've got shows like Sabrina or American Horror Story, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, American Horror Story. If you go back, you're looking at Charmed. Um, and so they're always kind of crossing the line. Yeah, they're Satan worshipers uh, and there are demons in, in their world, but it's also still cool. But in film, they've done that. They've done that as well. And in more recent history, at least in independent filmmaking, you're definitely seeing a shift in terms of what a witch is like. So in more recent independent filmmaking, you've got more folklore-based pictures of what a witch is supposed to be like, which is an, a fascinating tool in filmmaking because by doing that, you're you're basically stripping mankind of its technology, its modern lifestyle, and you're kind of showing people and their flaws and their relationship issues without all of the modern world because the folklore which has been around for thousands of years. And only recently in independent horror filmmaking have we seen more of that come up. But the problem is a lot of mass media still does that Christian depiction. And I think if you really only know about witches through series and movies, it's very misleading. And you might not be aware how much you could technically open your mind to a completely different world in terms of witch culture and spirituality. Definitely recommend going and looking at the Grim Exchange episode two for a lot more pop culture context on witches. Um, the section I've given you to follow up on um, does include some of the Bible context because I didn't realize the full extent of what it really meant for witches in the Bible because you're used to um, demented witch hunters, you're used to thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, but there actually is more stuff going on in there that actually gives it a very different context. Like witches and mediums seem to be mixed up quite heavily in the Bible. Anyway, so let's go on with the show. We're yeah. going to alternate. Mariam will lead with a section on context for Wicked Witches, just as I said. I'll do a section on a witch Lucor has already discussed in a different context. We then have a surprise story each to share. So do you want to lead the way then, Mariam? I most definitely do. So let's start with classical Wicked Witches. Witches in pop culture and a lot of fairy tales are simply viewed as evil. And that is exactly what we want to look at. Where does this picture come from? And how long has that actually been a depiction of, of witches? Whether it's justified or not, more likely not justified, but let's look into it. While cultures globally have stories of evil witches across Europe, this seems to come down to puritanical and anti-pagan Christian beliefs, while the suffer not a witch to live line is actually pretty contentious, and the Old Testament telling you to stone witches to death got a do-over from Jesus, the Bible is pretty clear on where it stands on witchcraft. It's all dark sorcery communing with demonic forces. The New Testament heavily reinforces that only God and the Holy Spirit should be communed with, making many local varieties of assorted wise people to boo. 
And even though Jesus said no to the clubbing of little old ladies to death with rocks for having too many pet cats, the stories of the Old Testament still give these ideas context. Witches are inextricably linked to speaking with the dead in these traditions, and the Bible is very clear that this is just using the dead as a conduit to the demonic. Lies, seduction, and darkness are all foundational to this view of witches long before we get to the demented ravings of the witch finders and the Spanish Inquisition. The story of King Saul turning to a witch out of desperation to talk to the deceased prophet Samuel ends with the witch shocked, God intervened, and the actual soul of Samuel returned. The confused witch of Endor faced with the true miracle admitted that all she usually does is channel demons pretending to be the dead, and this is the first time it had ever been the actual person. As obvious as this sounds, I would like to clarify that the biblical witch of Endor has nothing to do with Star Wars or Ewoks. Just take note of that. Ewoks, <laughs> as we know, being the flesh-eating murder teddies that brought down a galactic empire are a whole different discussion of evil. I mean, kind of cute, but also, yeah, I mean, we get where we're coming from. Even with society more secular and far less burn the witchy, there's a good reason the Wicked Witch trope lives on, even if it is now coexisting with more nuanced interpretations. A lot of these fairy tales are a lot of fun. As an example, here's a direct translation of a small but iconic one, Frau Trude or Trude from Germany, collected by Jakob Und Wilhelm Grimm, and I'm I'm going to use this opportunity to say that uh, that my company, Head Cinema Productions, plug plug, actually has its studio in a town called Hanau, and Hanau was actually where the brothers Grimm used to live. So I do have a personal connection to all things Grimm because that is where a majority of my professional life happens. Just a little uh, side anecdote, but didn't mean to segue uh, too <laughs> far off. Let's go into the story. So I'm sure you'll do the story perfectly. We have no flood lines then. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, next time I should do it in German and in English. I wish I could do a classic German accent, but honestly, I can't. I could only, I could only try to improvise. But before I insult anyone, let's just read it in English, shall we? <laughs> So, <clears throat> but let me get my fairy tale voice on. <clears throat> Once upon a time, <laughs> there was a small girl who was strong-willed and forward, and whenever her parents said anything to her, she disobeyed them. I like this girl. I like her. <laughs> Take a note of that, too. How could anything go well with her? No one knows. Relatable. I'm relating to this hard. One day, she said to her parents, I've heard so much about Frau Trude. Someday I want to go to her place. People say such amazing things are seen there, and such strange things happen there, and I have become very curious. Her parents strictly forbade her, saying, Frau Trude is a wicked woman who commits godless acts. If you go there, you will no longer be our child. But the girl paid no attention to her parents and went to Frau Trude's place anyway. When she arrived there, Frau Trude asked, why are you so pale? Oh, she answered, trembling all over. I saw something that frightened me. What did you see? I saw a black man on your steps. 
That was a charcoal burner. Then I saw a green man. That was a huntsman. Then I saw a blood red man. That was a butcher. Oh, Frau Trude, it frightened me when I looked through your window and I could see not you, but instead the devil with a head of fire. Aha, she said. So you saw the witch properly outfitted. I have been waiting for you and wanting you for a long time. Lights away for me now. With that, she turned the girl into a block of wood and threw it into the fire. When it was thoroughly aglow, she sat down next to it and warmed herself by it, saying, It gives such a bright light. And that <laughs> You were definitely the right choice to bring on board for this. <laughs> uh, yes, got, getting my German, German witch caggle on. Love it. I mean, you can see a lot of iconic things in that fairy tale. It's like the disobedient youth, the bad end mm. for this, not listening to your parents, and the wicked witch <laughs> being directly linked to um, the devil. Obviously trying to scare children off of uh, or away from approaching strangers, as a lot of these fairy tales, you know, did. I, I feel like we need more of them. <laughs> Our kids aren't scared enough, goddammit. <laughs> a little bit of terror goes a long way in childhood. Indeed. I mean, <laughs> you and I are okay, right? So it can't no. be that bad. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we survived. We're alive. I feel like... It made us more interesting in the long run. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we are more colorful personalities because of it. A deeper dive on the dual nature of Baba Yaga. Ooh. Baba Yaga has been mentioned before on Luke Law, but a full show on witches is a great time to circle back around to her. There are plenty of stories about how dangerous and terrifying she is. She has control over the elements, she can zip around the forest, flying in her mortar and pestle. Plus there's the minor detail of her taste for the flesh of children with her iron teeth to help chew them up. She has many servants she can rely upon if she is wronged, her white, red and black horsemen who control the daybreak, sunrise and sunset. And we had white, red and black with the Grimm story as well. So there's a bit of um, shared imagery there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Very true. Koshi the Deathless, a powerful sorcerer in their own right who she commands as her herdsman, or else soul friends, free pairs of disembodied hands. And yet there's a lot of stories about people coming to Baba Yaga for help. She's dangerous, she's sometimes even cruel, but she's powerful and incredibly wise. She also has rules she herself either has to follow or else across her many stories always insists on following. Many a hero of folklore has thrown themselves on the mercy of Baba Yaga in search of knowledge, something she is in no short supply of. Knowledge of all things big and small, of hidden magical artifacts, and of things lost that can yet be found. Should you hunt down her strange cabin on chicken legs, then show your elder respect and listen to what she tells you, then you can take control of your own fate. As mentioned in the Luke lore on Slavic legends, sometimes Baba Yaga is the region standing for the Greek fates themselves in mythic tales. Vasilisa the Fur is a reoccurring figure in Slavic folklore, and they had dealings with Baba Yaga on more than one occasion. The first being as a child when Baba Yaga wanted to eat her, because it cannot be overemphasized what a terrible idea for a babysitter Baba Yaga would be. But then again in other tales with no fear of being on the menu and apparently no hard feelings. Vasilisa appears in a variation of Frog Prince tales, in this case being a frog princess. As a frog, Vasilisa competed with other potential brides to be a wife of a noble, 
because the wild magic of a fairy tale is just like that sometimes. Confused as to why a frog was not only competing with women, but far outdoing them in the cooking and weaving department, the noble discovered that this domestic goddess in frog form was in fact Vasilisa, who had become cursed to be a frog during the day, yet could shed this enchanted frog skin at night to become a beautiful woman again. The full details of this came out when the noble tried to burn the frog skin to free Vasilisa, revealing the following. Cause she the deathless had done this, burning the skin was not how you broke the curse. If the noble had just waited three years, the situation would have resolved itself, and burning the skin sent Vasilisa back to Koshchi the Deathless. Having no idea how to fix the mess he just made, the noble threw himself on the mercy of Baba Yaga. For as quite rightly fearsome as she is, the Baba has unrivaled depths of knowledge. Whether Baba Yaga was caught on a good day, or decided she likes Vasilisa after not eating her as a girl, or else just wanted to mess with Koshchi the Deathless, who is supposed to be one of her servants so he may have outstepped his bounds, Baba Yaga helped with an otherwise impossible task. She guided the noble to all the hidden fragments of Koshchi's soul. A needle, an egg, a duck, a her, inside an iron chest, buried under a green oak, and safely tucked away on a magical island. With all seven parts of the sorcerer's soul, the noble was able to destroy them, killing the apparently immortal man who had cursed Vasilisa. Something seems familiar in this fairy tale, but I can't quite put my finger on what franchise may have taken inspiration from it. One not so deathless after all Koshchi later, the noble marries the princess, and Baba Yaga almost certainly got the last laugh over someone who was supposed to be busy as her herdsman and not turning beautiful women into frogs on Baba Yaga's time. As interesting as the story is for many elements seen elsewhere, both in fairy tale contemporaries and in modern franchises, this shows off what makes Baba Yaga truly stand out. Knowledge. Baba Yaga, even at times being iconically wicked, is also iconically a wise woman. Knowing how to break a curse and deal with the supposedly deathless was no big deal for Baba Yaga. She didn't even have to lift a finger herself in this one to save the day. That was a quick rundown on Baba Yaga helping out and also what maybe just um, the origin of a certain Deathly Hallows. No, I love that. I love me some Baba Yaga because as you were saying, on the one hand, the the picture is so terrifying. I mean, it's so, so scary. But on the other hand, it, it is a character that people turn to for assistance, for help, for knowledge. And it's it's really interesting because obviously when we think of that kind of power, we always put it up to a moral code, if you will. But if you look in the more Eastern European direction of even, again, today practicing witches, there's such a variety of, of how far you actually go into that moral code. Because there are some witches that say, well, this is where I draw the line. I won't ever do this or I won't ever do that. And that line is different for everyone. It, it might, even as an observer, might be a line that we consider extremely far you know why would you even do that for example why you know help someone get someone else to for example fall in love with them you know you're tampering with human will but then on the other hand you have a lot of these practicing witches who are just like look i'm providing a service i have the means to this and uh, this is my job so it's not my choice to decide whether this is okay or not. And then you go, okay, interesting, interesting. So even to this day, if you look at like an Eastern European direction, again, different countries, different regions, different forms, um, we are measuring these things by a completely different structure of ethics than a lot of these people are. 
there's no right or wrong in this because you can have an opinion, but a lot of these practices have been going on for a really long time. Doesn't mean they're all justified, but they have. And it's a really interesting way of looking at it. But yeah, knowledge is terrifying. I think there are a lot of, even in the Bible, <laughs> there are a lot of stories where knowing too much will will be a bad thing. Um, there's a lot of stories from a lot of different cultures where you're supposed to limit your wisdom. And the question is, why would you teach people that where these days it's all about knowing what you can know, being curious, digging through the internet, finding answers, talking to people. It's a very different, different world to live in now. It gives Baba Yaga some different context, given that she was early Slavic internet that might eat your children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's always a grain of truth somewhere, but at the same time, it, I could see how maybe if you were politically more powerful, you wouldn't want to know that there is uh, an elderly woman in a hut uh, whom people trust more than you. So it's sometimes it's better to just, you know, downplay it. Like what? They put herbs to make a tea and then you feel better? Which burn her. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, the, like, the power structures competing with each other was definitely a big part of it. Totally. Like, um, the church totally. consolidating power meant you had to get rid of a lot of um, regional wise people. Absolutely. And I was watching, I mean, I, I can't name it anymore, but I was watching a small documentary on YouTube about witches in Poland, for example, today. And, uh, and they were interviewing different witches. So they all had different views on things. But one of them was saying, yeah, like in, in our government system, several of those people are my clients. <laughs> and, and it's kind of a, a, a mutual giving and taking of favors because on the one hand if they need something and they believe in in what we do i can provide that for them um maybe more than i would a normal customer but at the same time they're not going to hunt us down and try to push us out of the country that's the relationship we have and to hear how and and the politicians obviously won't talk about that whether it's true or not i have no idea but some of these women are talking about it and it's like okay i could see how you might want to strike a deal just so just so there's peace and harmony between people but it's again it's something that sounds so fantastical and depending on where you're from is so not part of the culture but once you get to maybe small villages that have really stayed true to traditions if you go to hungary for staying in eastern europe for example there are rituals for house cleansing when you move house that everyone does everyone just does it you don't question it witches are a thing these rituals are a thing and cleansing my house spiritually is a thing that's what i'm gonna do now because i just moved and you don't question it and uh and it is quite fascinating definitely definitely fascinating yeah that's bleeding into um like more western culture as well because smudging seems to be quite a normal thing now people take that as a given and that is a, a bit of a um, wiccan ritual it's gone a step further and a lot of people in the spiritual community say that there is definitely a wrong way to smudge because it's cultural appropriation as well especially when it comes to what you smudge with uh so for example white sage or a particular kind of sage they're like don't do that don't don't try to import it from somewhere and and kill it in its in its in its region just so you can feel good about yourself smudging you know find what's local to you and use and use that 
Um, and obviously there's a constant back and forth in terms of the scientific benefits. Cause for a while it was like, Oh no, you're disinfecting the room. And then again, it wasn't the case. And they're like, just, you know, it's a spiritual thing. Take what's local to you, use that and maybe look into your cultural heritage and see what practices are part of your family as opposed to, oh, I really, really like this form of witchcraft, so I'm going to dive into it uh, and buy whatever kits and, and, and whatever. I mean, most witches are very relaxed about it. They say, you know, test figure it out if you're just getting started just just try something and see how it works for you find yourself but at the same time anything that's like a mass movement or a trend or to the detriment of an actual culture a lot of people start getting loud about it and saying you know that there's there's damage to be done if you don't do it right and again i'm not a practicing witch but i do I'm, I do love it. And I love talking to people about it and listening to their, to their experiences. Well, you've got a surprise witch for me now, haven't you? I do. <laughs> okay. So this one I picked because of the time, the season we are recording it, namely a dark and cold season. And I will, uh, I will explain the connection later. So let me start by painting a picture. Okay. We're in the 17th century, in the mountains outside of the colonial city of Santiago in Guatemala. <gasps> so we're going to South and Central America with, with our next witch movement. No, movement is, isn't, isn't even the right word, but culture. It's nighttime. And there was, or it was nighttime. So nighttime setting. And there was a beautiful, mixed race young lady whose name I'm about to butcher, just like all the other local words in this story, Melhora. I apologize. I hope that's how it was pronounced. Who is, by all accounts, a virgin, which made her, at the time, a respectable person in this strict Catholic society that she was a part of. But the sweet virgin, also known as a Doncella, was about to commit a sin. Again, another word I probably butchered, full disclosure, you know, I don't speak this language. Now, we weren't there when this happened. We don't know what her lover said to her that human night when they secretly met. <gasps> so there's a lover. Perhaps that he loved her. Perhaps that they would marry. Whatever he said, it swayed her to give in to the throes of passion and give up her oh-so-valuable virginity. But this man did not marry her. And so she was left by herself with a tarnished social status, a possible pregnancy, and above all, a broken heart. There was only one thing to do now, and that was go to her local Erisera. Again, pronunciation, not my strength, but let's go it. So what is an Echizera, you may ask? It tends to be an indigenous woman who sells potions and magical incantations to women in otherwise powerless situations. In Malhora's case, she received a special powder to mix into her lost lover's morning hot chocolate in order to make him fall in love with her and marry her. 
And that is why I think this is for us at the moment, particularly seasonal because hot chocolate is something I definitely like to drink when it's cold outside. And it's one of the reasons why I picked the story, but let's continue. This is actually where we look at the particulars of this type of sorcery or witchcraft, also known as brujeria. Cocoa and chocolate was very much an element of their practices. In South and Central America, chocolate has been a big part of culture for at least 3,000 years. It was part of rituals, ceremonies, and medicinal practices. Whilst it was consumed by everyone, traditionally it was only prepared by the women of a household. Additionally, taking into consideration its strong flavor, it was the perfect way to mask potions and spells that women could then use on unsuspecting pe people, particularly men. But then things took a turn, sadly, to the worse. Spanish colonies defeated the Aztec and the Maya. At first, they adopted chocolate within their own culture and made it part of, a, of local Christian practices, and by the 17th century, made it easily accessible for purchase in markets. It was then that a hot chocolate became a daily tradition, part of everyone's routine, and was consumed the way we do a morning coffee. But it was also around this time that Europeans were outnumbered by the mixed race population, Europeans only making up about 15% of the population. And in order to keep control, mixed race and indigenous people were given very strict rules to keep them in check, which included things like curfews and limited freedoms and what they were supposed to do, what they were limited in doing. And when the Europeans still didn't feel safe, they called Spade to introduce something that we've already mentioned on your show today, uh, to introduce the Spanish Inquisition. Now, we've all heard of the radical and horrible ways of the Inquisition. We don't need to get into it now. Obviously, there's a long history there. And there was no exception here. People were tortured and killed for living out indigenous traditions and heretical practices, thus begun as well a harsh witch hunt. Women particularly became the target of this, whether they were married and accused of casting spells on their husbands, or widowed or single and accused of casting spells and curses on people in the village, it didn't matter. Sadly, the young lady we mentioned earlier in the story was one of the first people to be reported to the Spanish Inquisition, and there are no reports of what became of her. And even more tragic, there are extremists within the Catholic Church who still pursue these witch hunts today with lynching of spiritual practitioners as recent as 2020. So some people in their narrow minds are still publicly lynching, whether it's legal or not, people they deem witches. Still a thing. It's awful. On the plus side... Much of Mayan culture has been brought to the 21st century, including chocolate. There is even a Mayan Easter that is celebrated as a festival of chocolate. And as I know some of your listeners might, might also be interested in the practice 
in addition to the history, I've brought uh, a traditional Aztec love potion recipe. So if anyone listened to this, uh, listening to this, if anyone out there wants to try out an Aztec love potion, uh, hopefully not to break someone's will, but maybe to spice things up on a special occasion, um, or as you wish to do with it, the traditional Aztec love potion is a hot chocolate mixed in, uh, or a hot chocolate that is a blend of cocoa, vanilla, and chili. Those three directions basically stimulating very different parts of our mouth in terms of a flavor and our palate. So if you ever wanted to try some of that, that is the recipe. You might need to play around with the amounts, but that is that is the Aztec Love Potion. And that was a very brief rundown of witchcraft in South and Central America. Ta-da! Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, any any problems that follow with the love potion are officially not my fault. That was Mariam. We are not liable. <laughs> that is your responsibility. You could find it online. I haven't tried it. It sounds delicious. Actually, I have made this before. I didn't even know it was a love potion at the time. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, it boils down to to the Inquisition and how at first a lot of the local traditions were adopted in order to sway people to accept what these colonies were introducing to them in terms of culture. But then it got to a point where they started drawing lines and said, well, now that you're part of our group, and it's not, it's not a purely Catholic thing. It's not how Catholics practice today. It's an extremist thing and it's specific to the Inquisition. And it was, it was horrible. It was really, really horrible. And they could have gone on practicing their spiritual ways without any violence for thousands of years. But it I was shocked when I was Googling this and I found that, you know, you go to villages where where these things still happen. And it's sickening because because, oh my God, how can we be in the 21st century? And some people are so narrow minded. But, you know, I guess if you're a horrible person, you'll look for any excuse to do horrible things to other people. So I mean that's very much it. It's not about what your beliefs are it's about how much of a terrible or good person you are yourself mm, absolutely but it is a very this was really just a, a quick overview of the history and what became of it i do recommend anyone who already has a taste for for these things dive into it read more it's such a it's a such a fascinating field that i didn't know much about before preparing for today's episode and there are other spells and potions online. There's one that'll that'll let you live forever. I didn't feel like it was responsible to share that on this show, but uh, but reading about this culture that really was cultivated over thousands of years, it is very fascinating. And yeah, we're focused on the cocoa, but there are other stories where, for example, um, a woman called I'm going to say Donna. It might be pronounced Donya. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, she was married and she was being beaten by her husband. So she also looked for for uh, a local spiritualist. And the practice there was to wash her genitalia with cinnamon water, um, only from the outside, and then to to speak out some sort of spell. And it was it was intended to make her husband stop beating her. So a lot of the times it was it was not a, about anything malicious. It was 
powerlessness in many of these situations. That was also one of the women who was on the list of people who was reported to the Inquisition, sadly. And I mean, what reason did 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 they have to to take a woman who was already in in a situation that was daily torment? So it's a really upsetting, a really upsetting story, but a rich and long history that shouldn't be tarnished by how it was it was broken down in later years. I really recommend digging into the practices and the traditions themselves. Some really beautiful stuff. Right, well, um, let's head on to my surprise witch, which I'm, I'm happy to say is a nice, happy one, at least. Woo-hoo! More or less, because we've been a bit dark on this so far. It has been dark. Let's, let's end it on a happy note. Bring it home, Luke. Come on. The White Witch of Surrey Mother Ludlam was a famous white witch from Fresham in Surrey. She was able to loan people anything they needed on the condition they must give it back within two days. All you had to do was stand on the boulder outside of Mother Ludlam's cave and clearly state what it is that you need. It needed to be something which could be returned, so while you could wish for a teapot, you couldn't, or at least shouldn't, request the tea you were going to drink. Once you got home, you would find the item on your doorstep. You then had two days to make use of this, then take it back to Mother Ludlam's cave. Now, knowing people, and people being the worst, there is of course a story of someone who tried to keep the item they asked for. This story only getting worse when you hear what he asked for, too. This fine upstanding gentleman went to the cave known as Mother Ludlam's Hole, and expressly asked for the witch's personal cauldron. Not just any cauldron, her personal cauldron. Mother Ludlam was reluctant, as this wasn't just a request for any cauldron. But being a kindly white witch, she agreed and cautioned him to make sure it was brought back in the required two days. He agreed, taking the cauldron, and then promptly never bothered to return it. Now, Mother Ludlam is, as I just said, a kindly white witch. This is not the same thing as a weak witch or someone you can get away with crossing. After 48 hours and her personal cauldron was not returned, she flew into a vengeful rage and stormed out of her cave to hunt the thief down. Words soon got out to the moron who probably thought he was clever up to this point, pranking the silly stuff the old woman who helps people, but he soon realised he was in serious trouble, likely because there was a growing crowd of spectators who were looking forward to see what was about to happen to him, given that this was the time before television and he kind of had it coming anyway. The thief grabbed his stolen cauldron and ran screaming to St Mary's Church in Fresham for sanctuary. I don't know what ultimately happened to the thief, but I do know what happened to the cauldron. The church kept it. It's still there to this very day. Across the years, the church has used it to brew ale and cater for religious festivals, so it was clearly a good cauldron, but poor Mother Ludlam never got it back. Hopefully this one rotten apple didn't spoil it for everyone else. Mother Ludlam was a very fondly remembered local healer in Surrey, and happy to loan whatever was needed provided people would actually bring it back. In some variations of this tale, this cauldron um, thief was the devil in disguise, and Mother Ludlam left the cauldron in the church to spite the devil after chasing him down their broomstick. In other, older tales, it was furries who offered the loan, and after the dumb mortal tried to return the cauldron late, they cursed it to follow him everywhere he went. After fleeing to the church with the cauldron chasing along after him, the late returner dropped dead from fright upon re- uh, reaching the church, who took in the cursed cauldron to stop its mischief. But I like the simpler Mother Ludlam story. It's nice to remember and celebrate a healer who was a little odd, whose story didn't become bogged down with anti-witch hysterics in the retelling. Going to see the cauldron someday could be fun.
yeah, I'd love to see that. Oh my God. Any sort of, any sort of story like that, where you can still visit the objects or the bodies that were, <laughs> that were part of it is just fascinating. And she sounded, she sounded pretty cool. And I love that again, it's a positive story that people still respected her and they, they understood. I mean, it, it's kind of, it kind of sucks that the cauldrons in the church, but at least they're making use of it still. I mean, definitely, definitely still getting something out of it. Brewing ale. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you could tell there's still a bit of a church versus witch um, tension there, but it seems to be a bit more of a friendly one. <laughs> definitely, definitely. No, it sounds sounds awesome. I like that one. That's all for now. Thank you, Marion, for being Luke Law's first ever co-host. Oh, really? I was the first. Oh, man, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sure <laughs> much, much better people you could have had on. Oh, no, no. You carried story. on the Luke Law proud tradition of garbling and massacring every local pronunciation <laughs> of words. Yes. Okay. Well, that is now setting the new standard for you to <laughs> then, you know, uh, overcome and better, which won't be won't be uh, difficult. But it's been so much fun. I loved it. Love the topic. Love being here. Love talking to you. It's been it's been a blast. Even the research up to this episode was was so much fun. Oh yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Ooh, before we sign off, or at least before we get to the part of the outro where I repeat myself on, and a lot of people will skip. Would you like to tell us more about the Grim Exchange? Yes. So the Grim Exchange is our online news horror news entertainment show so if you want to know what's new in the horror world and this is not just films it's also books video games uh you name it cosplay anything like that if you want to know that if you want to hear these mini documentaries it's a different one every episode we interview a lot of people from uh from the industry as well and not just mainstream a lot of independent people, but this is a show from the horror community for the horror community. If you ever want to be part of that, if you want to watch it, check it out. The Grim Exchange is a bi-weekly show uh, that only recently started a few weeks ago. We only have three episodes out, but they're all, all. Uh, I don't know, Luke, what do you think of them? Are they, are they solid? Oh, I like them. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to have like a centralized horror news show that covers a lot. And plus, of course, I love it because I managed to sneak onto episode three of the Grim Exchange. I had a two line horror tale that I adapted from one of the weirdest stories the Ghost Story Guys podcast has ever featured, read out by Joshua Conkle, the writer on Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Absolutely. Yeah, he was a guest on, in our uh, third episode, and um, he very gladly read out the, the submissions, and your story was amazing. We, we off-camera had, had just a good time talking about how much story you can actually put into two sentences. It was kind of, kind of amazing, very impressive. But yes, yeah, so check out Luke's story, and, uh, and check out the show in general. It's on, um, on the Grimfest TV YouTube channel. But the show itself is called The Grim Exchange. And if you want to catch some real-life horror stories told by horror filmmakers, we had a special out in October, and those episodes are also online. Uh, so if you want to get your, your real ghost stories on, check out those compilation videos as well. That definitely sounds like something that the um, a lot of my listeners would like. So let's hope they go check it out. Yes. Oh, on to the now the usual outro from me. So a regular listeners, feel free to skip. If you do want to contact me, there's the show's dedicated email, lukelawgsg at gmail.com, and the general show email, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. 
Both myself and the main show are rarely used to find on Facebook or on Twitter if you want to make day-to-day -day contact, as well as a very active Instagram account a lot of the community gets involved with. Uh, Loop Lore itself now has its own Instagram account. We're still just working out to do with it. It's going to be some mm -hmm. infographics and some photos from my misadventures in the field at a current plan. Well, I, we do have some very bad misadventures of me in the field to explore. Um, if you want to support the show directly, definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com ghoststoryguys. It'll get you access to all sorts of GSG goodies at different tiers. My incentive being that Luke Lore episodes go out to patrons a month early. As ever, though, the absolute best thing anyone can do to support the show is to give it a listen. Share this around if you think you may know someone who may be interested. Leave a review if you get the chance to help Signal boost me. Definitely check out The Grim Exchange on YouTube. That is at the Grimfest TV YouTube channel. And most of all, I simply hope you enjoy what I'm doing here. Goodbye for now. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.